Identity theft. Any victims? Identity theft? Yeah. Yeah. It comes in various forms and shapes. Um, all kinds of different levels. Somebody stole my three credit cards and a debit card from me a couple of weeks ago and went to straight to the Apple store and had a field day. Um, of course, all of the credit cards said no, but the, the debit card said, bring it on. And uh, we're still working through to figure out what happened. Evidently, there's this ring of thieves. They, they go into your wallet. They take the credit cards, debit cards. They leave the cash. They take a picture of your driver's license. On the way to the store, they take the picture of your driver's license, cut out your picture, put their picture, print a new one, go to the store with your cards and this remade license, and start buying. They leave your cash, put the the driver's license back in your wallet, I guess they figure it's a painless crime because the credit card companies will deal with all the fallout. <laughs> Does this mean I have to return the Apple TV? <laughs> <laughs> power, power MacBook Pro or something. It was, it was a big number. Uh, identity theft. Names, addresses, numbers, facial images are used to commit fraud and to steal. Um, and we find out that preserving our identity is vital to modern living. I mean, that's why the Bible warns about, you know, getting marks on your skin so you can just show you. And then facial recognition, you know, Chinese have this, and never, I won't go there, to recognize everybody's face. And, but here's the question for today. And, and this, is, this is an important time because what you believe is being challenged and sometimes you just need to go down to bedrock. And uh, sometimes you, you, there's questions and you want to know who it is that I'm dealing with. I mean, of what is said, how it's said, and who says it. Which is the most important? Who says it? <laughs> who says it is the most important? What would happen if a poor, young, obscure man appeared today in China and claimed to be Confucius? claim to be Confucius. Or what would happen in India if a poor, obscure young man claimed to be Gandhi? Or claimed to be greater than Gandhi? Or what would happen in Korea if someone claimed to be greater than King Sejong, who was one of the four founding fathers of Korea? Or in Russia, they claimed to be, to be or to be greater than Ivan the Terrible, one of the rulers of early Russia. Or in Iran, they claim to be or greater than the Prophet Muhammad. What would happen to these people? Well, they would be ignored. Or they would be judged insane. Or they would have been imprisoned. Or, in some cases, they might be killed. Because they were claiming to be somebody that they weren't. Identity theft is a big deal. So what, what would happen in ancient Israel when this poor, young, obscure man claimed to both know and be greater than Abraham and Moses? What would happen? 
So the question is, is Jesus' true identity still important to us today? Is his true identity still important today? And why does it matter whether or not Jesus is God? Why does that matter? Your life depends on it. Why does it matter if Jesus is God or if Jesus isn't God? Did Jesus claim an identity that wasn't his? And he's trying to pass on fraud to the whole world. The most important reason to know for sure is that if Jesus is not God, his death on the cross wouldn't be sufficient to absorb God's wrath for the sin of everyone who believes. Only God could pay such a penalty. 1 John 2, 2 says, He, referring to Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's a lot of sin. Romans 5, 8 says, for, But God shows his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, if Jesus is not God, none of that is true. Since Jesus is God, he could pay the full debt that we owe. But he had to be a man so he could be tempted and so he could die. I mean, how could God die? Man can die. There is no one like him. For salvation is available only by faith in him. Jesus is the only way to the Father, just as he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle John was one of the twelve disciples, and he wrote the Gospel of John. And towards the end, he, he gives us the purpose for writing his Gospel. And it says this, But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. When we read this particular Gospel of John in the Bible, the purpose of the author was that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that by believing, we would have life in his name. That's the goal. That's his goal of writing this book. Now, it's funny. This is a, the book of John is marvelously crafted. And I don't know whether you've ever personally studied it or, or dug into it. But it's fabulous. And John uses seven multiple times. Everything is in... Everything related to Jesus comes in sevens. So, for instance, in the first chapter of John, John gives seven actions that Jesus did that could only be done by God. He lays them out for us. Um, so, throughout this gospel, the identity of Jesus is proclaimed. These seven works Jesus did could only be done with someone who has the power of God. So here they are. He says in verses 1 through 4 that Jesus was the God who created the world and is the source of all life. In 9 through 13, he says, Jesus is the one who provides salvation for all believers to be born again of God. In 14 through 18, he says, Jesus came in the flesh to reveal the Father 
to reveal his grace and to reveal his truth. Verse 29, he says that Jesus is the one who takes away and forgives sin for all people who believe. In 32 and 33, he says that Jesus is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In 42 through 48, he says Jesus is the one who knows the past, the present, and the future of all men and women. And in 1551, he says Jesus is the way to heaven and is attended to by angels. These seven things, could a man, does simply a man do those? No. These are all things only God can do. And Paul, I mean John, wants us to know that. He goes on. And in the first chapter of John, he gives seven titles. He records seven titles given to him by men who knew him. He provides great insight into Jesus' true identity by recording these seven titles. I mean, titles give us an idea of who someone is, what sort of um, place or position they have, what sort of accolades that they have earned or won, uh, how they're recognized by other people, a title. You know, you have job titles, you have executive titles, you have governmental titles, you have titles in almost every field or endeavor. But this evidence comes from many witnesses. It's important to us. These are eyewitnesses who gave these titles to Jesus. For instance, John the Baptist and Nathaniel both said, you are the Son of God. Andrew, one of the apostles, you are the Messiah. John the Baptist also says, you are the Lamb of God. Two disciples, unnamed disciples, and then Nathaniel say, you are the rabbi, the teacher. Nathaniel also comes back and says, you are the king of Israel. And Philip says, you are Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you study the word Nazareth, you'll find out it, is a, it, it relates to a prophecy about the branch. And when he said, you are Jesus of Nazareth, you're saying you're the fulfillment of that branch prophecy. And then Jesus himself said that he was the son of man. Well, a lot of people get that confused and say, okay, so that means he was born of Mary. That's not what it means. The son of man refers to the ancient uh, Jewish scriptures of Daniel, Daniel 7, where this man ascends to the right hand of God and is enthroned there, and all creation worships him. When Jesus says he's the son of man, he's relating back to this Daniel 7 prophecy. So there's, there's seven things only God can do in the first chapter. There's seven titles uh, that relate to God given in the first, first chapter. And then throughout the book, John gives seven witnesses of people that Jesus is the Christ. John the Baptist, recalling God speaking to him, says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Nathaniel, upon hearing Jesus reveal a personal private truth, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Peter asked, when asked if he would leave, says Peter says, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. A healed blind man, a blind man healed, when Jesus revealed that it was Jesus who healed his sight, said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Martha asked if she believes by Jesus himself. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Thomas, seeing Jesus alive after the resurrection, my Lord and my God. John the Apostle, the guy who wrote this, says these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, why am I belaboring this point? Seven things only God can do. 
Seven titles given to Jesus. Seven witnesses that you are God. Does that still matter today? Do these, are these things important? When, when you're thinking, what does my faith rest on? Or why should I believe this gospel? What does it, what does it put its full weight on? It puts its weight on Jesus is who he said he is. Clearly, these are powerful statements. They are credible people who spoke these things. Many of these people wound up giving their lives because they would not recount, recant what they had said. John the Baptist lost his head. Others, Peter, crucified upside down because they would never say that what they had said about Jesus was an error. So what does it mean that, that what they say is true? Did Jesus ever claim to be God himself? We need to know this. John 10, 30. In John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now, at first glance, this may not seem to be a claim to be God. I and the Father are one. Well, maybe. But consider how the ruling Jews reacted to this. We are not stoning you for any of these other things you did, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. The Jews heard Jesus' statement to be one with God as a claim to actually be God. So here was this poor, obscure man saying, I and the Father are one. He didn't claim to be Confucius. He didn't claim to be Muhammad. He didn't claim to be any of these other guys. He claimed to be God. And they were going to stone him. They heard that statement to be one with God as a claim to actually be God. You know, in the verses that follow, Jesus never corrects anyone by saying, oh, I didn't claim to be God. Oh, don't worship me. Jesus never says that. He never says, don't worship me. His statement, I and the Father are one, clearly implies he is God. The ruling Jews were right. Jesus did claim to be God. But they didn't believe him. And that's the question for each of us today. Are we going to believe it? Are there more verses where Jesus implies that he is God? Yes, there's many. John 5, 15 through 18. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working unto now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Does calling yourself equal with God mean you claim to be God? Yes. <laughs> it does. The Jews were right. He was claiming to be God and they want him to put him to death. Another case, Jesus claims to be God. And this, this sort of introduces a series that I want to begin on the I am's of Christ. But this is where this is this is sort of an introductory part. In John eight fifty eight we see another example. And note this Abraham lived 
about the same number of years before Jesus as Jesus lives before us today. So when we think how long ago it was when Jesus lived, 2,000 years. In Jesus' day, it was that same length of time to when Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. Okay, you got that? So Abraham's about 4,000 years from now ago. Jesus was halfway. So Jesus is talking. He says, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah, the Jews therefore said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. How we probably don't have there's no one revered as much in our history. We don't even go back 300 years, much less 2,000 years. But in a culture uh, like what we're talking about here, the, the, the Pharisees, the, the ruling Jews, prided themselves on following Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And they prided themselves on believing Moses. God's law-giving prophet. I mean, Abraham was the father of the nation. Moses was the lawgiver. And upon the foundation of these two men, both the government and the entire religious system of the nation was built. It's not like in the U.S. where we have the government over here and we have a religious system over here and, and they look at the religious system and then there's lots. In Israel, it was one thing. The government and the religious system and it was one entity. And Abraham and Moses were foundational. And here's Jesus coming up and says, Before the man who founded this was born, I am. I mean, this is pretty in your face. He's, he's not leaving anything to doubt here, is he? There's no question mark about what Jesus is saying. None. The Pharisees accused Jesus of violating the, the Sabbath for healing a man. But Jesus justified his actions by claiming to do only what his father did. The Jews judged his words, claiming to be God, as blasphemy. We can now see that the Pharisees did not worship the true God because they rejected Jesus, the Son of God. And then here's the critical thing, and I'm not a ling linguistic student, but I... I can learn. <laughs> Jesus testified to be I am. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a verb of existence, right? To be, am. By using the phrase ego emi, which is the Greek translation of God's Hebrew name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. Okay. And I'll get to the, I'll read that story here in a second. But what Jesus was saying by using this phrase ego emi, I am that I am. It's 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 basically the word the verb to be twice repeated, the emphasis. He says, When you see me, you are seeing the image of the invisible God. You're seeing the exact imprint of his nature, and you're seeing the radiance of his glory. That's what Jesus was saying. Here's the story from Exodus 3. 
the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. This is Moses. <coughs> Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here am I. Here I am. Then he said, God said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, it's funny, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses', Moses response basically is saying, who am I to do this? And then he says, and who are you to tell me to do this? I mean, think about it. Who am I that I would do this? And who are you to tell me to do this? I mean, as far as Moses is concerned, it's a bush, a flame. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you to me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. I am who I am. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That would include us, wouldn't it? Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me. The Jewish nation revered these words. Because this is where Moses had received the command of God and the name of God. This name was considered so precious that no Jew would speak the name. And in fact, to represent the name, they took the vowels out and just left the consonants. And that's where we see this thing, these four letters. The four letters referring to the name of God. They didn't want to speak it for fear they might mispronounce it. So they never spoke it. And they didn't want to write it with the fully out because they didn't want to. So, so it's just the four letters that we see. And there's a bit more to that that I'll get to in a second. All these words were going through the minds of everyone as Jesus claimed to be the I am of God. As Jesus was standing there, human flesh standing there saying, directly applying the Old Testament name of God to himself. There was no doubt in anybody's mind. That's why they wanted to stone him to death right then. This is why they were furious. Jesus had said blasphemous things, blatantly claiming to be God and deserve to die. And of course it would have been blasphemous if he had only been a man. But not if he was the true God-man. And this is the truth. Jesus and the Father are one. Now John the Apostle is writing these things that we might believe. And so he goes on and gives seven more cases where Jesus says, I am. 
and uses this ego emi. Because Jesus is saying this because he wants to reveal that he is the true God. He wants to reveal his true nature. He wants us to see and to know God. And he wants all who will hear and listen will believe and receive life in his name. In John 4, 26, Jesus claims to be the promised Messiah. When he speaks to the woman at the well, he says to her, I who speak to you am he. Same verb phrase. When Jesus walks on the water and the men are in the boat, he's demonstrating power over nature and gravity. And he's encouraging them not to fear. He says, but he said to them, it is I. Same phrase, ego me. Do not be afraid. When he claims authority and mercy to forgive sin and to command our need to believe, he said, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. He says we, we have to believe that he is the I am who I am. When Jesus claims to the title of Son of Man as prophesied in Daniel 7, Jesus therefore said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Is Jesus leaving any doubt? I mean, Paul has carefully crafted this gospel to prevent to us overwhelming evidence. Jesus goes on. When he claims to be the promised Lord, teacher, Messiah, I'm telling you now, before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. When he claims to be the Nazarene that the soldiers wanted, Jesus said to him, I am. Therefore, when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. There must have been some sort of power released when Jesus, getting closer to the ascension of the throne of glory, there was, when he said, I am who I am, maybe it wasn't revealed like a burning bush, it was just released like this, and they fell to the ground. Soldiers. Soldiers fell to the ground. All right. And then the, the seventh one, restating this claim to be the only man the soldiers wanted. Jesus said, I told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go away. And in this case, Jesus is also showing himself as the shepherd, protecting his flock, offering himself up. There's no doubt about any of this, is there? Titles, works, eyewitnesses, even self-claims of Jesus. He claims to be the God who exists. But he goes on. There he was in the upper room the night of the Passover and he's praying. Now this isn't with the public. This isn't with the high-ranking Jews. This is with his, his chosen followers. In John 17, Jesus prays, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed. Then he says, I have manifested your name. I am that I am. To the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. And I have made your name known to them. I have made, I am who I am, 
known to them. Jesus came that we might know our Savior. That we might know Him. Full of grace and truth. I have come, I have made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Jesus claims to have had glory with God before the world was made. Now, if somebody did that today, you just brush him off as a lunatic. Why don't we brush Jesus off as a lunatic? Because if it's true, he's no lunatic. He's God. And everything Jesus said and did and all these witnesses and what they saw and what they witnessed to show that he is who he says he is. Since the time of Abraham and the burning bush, God was known to the Jews as I am who I am, although they would never say the name. The third of the Ten Commandments Moses gave is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now Jesus never violated that commandment. But he fulfilled that commandment to the greatest degree he didn't take the name in vain he manifested the name so that all might glorify God this was the greatest revelation of the name and it came from Jesus what was this name I am who I am now in your Bibles when you see the word Lord sometimes you'll see it Uppercase L, lowercase O-R-D. That means one thing. That means Lord is to normally think about a, a master and a master slave or the boss. That's what it means. But if you see all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the biblical shorthand for I am who I am. And that's how English printers show us the difference. And if you look in your Bible, the number of times capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D appear, you will see it is filled to overflowing with the name of God. And that's what Jesus claimed to be. That's what he claimed to be. Beyond the eyewitness accounts, Beyond the self say words that he he gave himself, there are many other ways Jesus revealed himself to be the I am. He fulfilled every Old Testament scripture prophesied about him. Over 300 Old Testament scriptures. He fully obeyed the God the Father, never once failing God's standard. He knew the thoughts and desires and sins of everyone he met. Which is a terrifying and comforting thought. If Jesus were here today, he would know every single one of us, our backgrounds, like the song said, (laughs) everything we'd ever done, there's nothing hidden from him. He knows. He reflected the character of God in lifestyle and worship and in service. He explained his identity and purpose to everyone who would listen to him. You know, even even the day Jesus ascended to heaven, 
the Bible tells us some, some people are gathered there and he's given them the great commission and they're worshiping him and some doubted, it says. Some doubted it. He performed signs and wonders that confirmed his claims. He, he healed, he restored sight, he healed the lame, he healed the sick, he rose people from the dead. He called men and women to follow him and he received them. He claimed immortality. Now, this is difficult to claim immortality and then die. It means you lied. But then when you rise from the dead, you prove it was true. And he was seen alive by more than 500 people. There's 500 eyewitnesses who saw him alive after the resurrection. He fulfilled his promise to send the Holy Spirit as comforter. And in Scripture, he's not finished yet because there's 300 Old Testament Scriptures about Jesus coming in the flesh. There's 500 about him coming back again. And those are yet to be fulfilled. So we see we're, we're in the middle of the story. All of us are written into his story and we're in the middle of it. Randy, we're in the middle of the story. So you can't go yet. That's right. So, um, the, uh, C.S. Lewis, and many of us are, remember the name as a Briton, wrote that it's foolish to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but to reject his claim to be God. Because a lot of people say, well, I don't know if Jesus is God, but I know he was a good teacher. Maybe, maybe you've said that. C.S. Lewis says that's foolishness. Why? Because a man who was merely a man but said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, would he? He would either be a lunatic or a liar or the Lord, which is exactly what he said he was. Either this man was and is today the Son of God, as he claimed to be, or else he was a madman or something worse. Church, today, not only you, but everybody you know needs to make a choice. You can ignore him as a fool. You can reject him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and worship him as God. But never accept any nonsense about him being a great human teacher, but not the Son of God. He is no fool. He is no madman. He is exactly who he said he is. He is God made flesh, Savior and Lord. The Bible says that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Even his name, Jesus, means Savior. And Christ, the word in the Greek, is Messiah in Hebrew. And it means the anointed one, the promised one. Although he didn't own no property, won no medals, held no political office, commanded no army, yet no person in history has so changed the human race. He calls us to believe. John calls us to believe the words he's written so that we might have life in Jesus. So, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who took your sin unto himself as he died on the cross? You can trust Jesus with your life for he loves you and will save you if you ask him to save you. He will forgive all your sins because he's paid the price for them. There is forgiveness of sin in Jesus. 
which leads to righteousness and joy and peace. He gives life revealed in the seven I am statements. He reveals to us who he is and how he is the one who can solve our problems and meet our deepest needs. We can trust our lives for eternity into his embrace. This is the message from John that we might believe. And I'm going to pass out these little pieces of paper. Y'all pass one around. Y'all pass one around. I think I've got enough for everybody. There's a, we're going to have communion here in a minute. And, and communion is, um, it's, you know, it's the bread and the juice. And we do this under, under the command of Christ. And it's for people who have said, I believe in him as a son of God. I believe in him to have taken my sins. You may have never said that before, but right now, at this moment, you may be ready to say, yes, God, I believe you. I believe what John the Apostle wrote. You are the Son of God. These words, everybody got one? Give Slava one. Are there any extras? It's a song I just heard a couple weeks ago, written by Horatius Bonar, a uh, Puritan minister in England, a hundred years ago. Upon a life I have not lived, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. That's what it means to to believe in Him. Upon a life I have not lived, there's nothing in my life that would make me suitable for God. Upon a death I did not die, Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Not on the tears which I have shed, not on the sorrows I have known, Another's tears, another's griefs, on these I rest, on these alone. O Jesus, Son of God, I build on what thy cross has done for me. There both my death and life I read, my guilt, my pardon, there I see. Lord, I believe, I deal with me as one who has thy word believed. I take the gift, Lord, look on me as one who who has that gift received. Ready to pair. Paired. I'm going to play this. I'd like to play it through one time. uh, And then we will uh, come and celebrate communion. Preston, maybe you could come and help with this. Um, I just want to go ahead and... I just want you to hear the words of the song first and then we will come, okay? Um... Upon a life I have not lived Upon a death I did not die Another's 
life Another's death I stake my whole eternity demonstration, Lord, of your power and, Lord, your commitment and your great love for us. Lord, we stake our eternity on this. And, Lord, you call everyone, everyone to stake their eternity on you and your life and your death and your resurrection. So, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, we come to take the bread and the juice let it be a sign, Father, a, a, a commitment, a memory, Lord, to you and what you've done. And may we live for you in a, in a, new, a newness and a freedom of life, Lord, that you've taken away the past. And you're promised a glorious future. Thank you, God. Every single one of us, Lord, I pray that we might come to you in Jesus' name.